Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, no prizes for the first to spell Ecclesiastes, and no prizes for the first one to get there. Hey, let me say that if you need to use your table of contents to find Ecclesiastes, that is perfectly fine. And uh, you probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, I hope I hear a message out of the book of Ecclesiastes, but that's where we're going to start. So a few passages we'll get to, Ecclesiastes will be the first. So find yourself, find your way there, hold that spot in chapter 4 in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, really, really good to see, really excited about what God is going to do today. How many of you, when I say this name, recognize the name right off the top of your head? The name of Edith Four. Edith Ford. Does anyone recognize that name? She's not lost here, by the way. It sounds like I'm announcing a lost person. Edith Four, anyone? Not one hand in the early service, and I name her name, and yet all of you know Edith Four, but not one hand has gone in the air in the last service or in this service. Edith Four kind of lived out the end of her life in the late 80s and 1990s. She was kind of, a, I guess, sort of known, at least in her family, uh, for some of the mishaps she would have. She was taking her grandson to gymnastics one day, and she fell, and she fell over a bicycle one time. She stepped off a curb or whatever and tripped on a curb, and she fell there. And uh, she was, she was kind of known in her family for taking all these falls. But there was one in particular that stood out, and that was a day when she was at her home, and she fell. And uh, she fell so badly that she, was, she, she uh, gashed her face, and blood was running down into her eyes. She did the only thing she could do, Edith Ford, at that place in her home by herself. She pressed a button, and on the other end of the button was a company called Life Call. Again, this is around 1989. And she presses the button, and on the other end of that call was a voice that came back, and she uttered the seven words that have made her a cultural legend. Let's say them all together. I've fallen and I can't get up. All right? So Edith Four became famous for that simple line. Now she would go on. Life Call would begin, obviously, a series of commercials. You can't do this now, right? Because I'm up here talking, so you can't do this now. But you can go online and see those original commercials like I did earlier this week. And uh, it's interesting because she was actually, at least her voice was in you know, some of those earlier commercials. They used a stunt woman for, the, I guess, the scene when she was on the floor. But uh, she was known as Mrs. Fletcher in the actual commercials. I know I pretty much look like a geek right up here right now. But, um, but that's kind of her story. Now, here's the thing. If you watch one of those old commercials, if you YouTube it and you see it, it's Life Call. But at the end of it, the spokesperson comes up and they say, protect yourself with life call and you're never alone. <laughs> Wouldn't that be really, really good? Protect yourself with life call. If you only have this pendant on, guaranteed, I promise you, you are never, ever, ever going to be alone, right? All it takes is life call. If life was only that easy, right? Life doesn't operate that way. And there are times when we go through uh, experiences in our lives where we wish we had a button to press and everything would be fixed. We wish we could push a button. Now, let's just say this. And there was somebody actually there who listened and who heard and who actually cared, right? There are times we go through series and experiences in our lives where, man, we feel all by ourselves. We feel all alone. And it's not as easy as pressing a button. That button doesn't exist. We've been going through this series called Broken, and uh, I guess this is maybe our fourth week or so uh, in this series, and um, man, there, there are times where I'll preach a series, and, and, and I feel like it's the series that God wanted, 
And I'll be honest, I've been doing this a while now for quite a few years. There are series that I'll preach, it just kind of feels like, wow, I don't know if anybody really even heard anything I said or if it made any kind of difference at all. And then there are other times when I'll share a message and it's just like, good night. It's like God showed up and sat right there on every row, it seemed. And he was just, you know, waking people up and speaking into people's hearts. And, and this is one of those series where it just seems like for whatever reason, let's just call it grace. <laughs> God is meeting us where we are. And there are a lot of people that are hurting. And I think God is really intersecting lives through this series, not because of what I've said, but because of the Holy Spirit moving, that have uh, just really accomplished a lot in these last few weeks. And the series simply titled Broken, one of the first things we saw is that brokenness is when we come to the end of ourselves. And oftentimes, you know, broken, being broken doesn't mean we have to go through a hard season of life or a difficult circumstance. Brokenness is just really coming to that place where, where we empty ourselves before God. That's what brokenness is. But what often happens is, is that it takes a difficult circumstance to get us to that point. You know, it, it may take a, a, a series of events. It, it may take a financial collapse. It may take losing a job. It may take uh, having to move to a new city uh, in, in circumstances that you didn't really choose. It may take someone hurting you, or it may take some hang-up or an addiction or a failure or a sin. It may take someone walking out on you. It may take a dream falling apart. It may take some of those hard circumstances to get us to the place to where we finally admit and finally say, you know what, I am broken I have nothing else to bring to the table. I am at the end of myself, and I have nothing else that I can do. There's nothing else that I can add to the mix. There's no way I can bail myself out. There's no way I can fix myself. There's no way I can even help me feel better. Right? I am broken. I'm at the end of myself. And what we've looked at in the series is that a variety of circumstances lead us many times to that place where we have to admit, you know what, I'm broken. I'm a broken down person. And I'm just broken on the inside. At every level, I am broken. And what we saw a couple of weeks into this series was the great news that brokenness doesn't have to be a bad thing. Many times it's the brokenness that creates the space for God to do a genuine work in us. Many times it's that collapse, it's that failure, it, it's that, that loss, it's that difficult valley, that darkness, that midnight moment in our lives. A lot of times it's that experience where God says, now we've got space to work. And here's why. Because a lot of times, until we get to the end of ourselves, we think we've got enough to handle whatever comes our way. And it's our own pride, and it's our own self-sufficiency, and it's our own self-will that says, you know, I can do this, and I can strap it up, and I can push through whatever this hardship is. And we come to the place, listen, as Christians, if we're not careful, where we think it all depends on us. And where God is impressed somehow by our independence, and he's not. He wants us to be dependent on him. And what happens when we're broken is that God, see, he has the space there to do a genuine work in us. And last week, I think we saw a little bit of that. You know, last Sunday, how many of you were here last Sunday? Let me see your hands. All right, you put your hands down. A lot of you were here, same in first service. We had um, two, two places up here with broken pieces of porcelain tile. There was nothing mystical about it, and we just simply gave the invitation that if you were to place a brokenness and you were ready to surrender that brokenness to God, then you come and you just take a piece of the, that tile and you would write where it, whatever it is, the circumstance in your life where you felt broken. And, and I even said, you know, maybe it's just you. You're surrendering yourself to him today. And there was nothing mystical or magical about that. Those tiles didn't accomplish any Harry Potter type stuff in our lives, you know. It, it, was, nothing. it was just a symbolic way for us to say, you know what, God, this is... This is where I surrender. And 150 people, give or take, 
came forward last Sunday in both services, and they took that step, and, and, and they laid down their brokenness before God. And it was a reminder of how many hurting people are not only here in our church, but imagine how many there are in this community and in this city, and in your neighborhood, and in your condo, and in your apartment complex, and your workplace. One of the things we saw last Sunday was that the defeat of brokenness ultimately leads us to the victory of surrender. And when we come to that place to where we surrender, man, that's where we win. You think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's praying and, and he's asking the Father, uh, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me. He saw the cross coming and he knew that he, Jesus, perfect and, and, and sinless, would be separated from God the Father when the sin of the world was placed on his shoulders on the cross. And he said, Father, if, if there's any way to do this a different way, right? If, if, if you can take this cup from me and still the world gets forgiveness offered, then let's do that. But, Jesus said, and, and it was and surrender to the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And that was victory, right? It, the victory came when he surrendered. And in our brokenness, we experience victory when we surrender our circumstances and surrender ourselves to the Lord. And last Sunday was a beautiful time of seeing that. I made the comment last Sunday as you came forward. This was our insurance disclaimer, right? And, and you came forward and I said, hey, be careful if you come and you take one of these broken tiles because it's exactly that. It's broken. They're sharp. They're dangerous. You can hurt yourself if you mishandle these. And it was a reminder that when we deal with brokenness, whether it's ours or whether it's someone else's, man, there are jagged edges when you start handling brokenness. And there are raw emotions. And there are difficulties. And there are nuances that when we start dealing with our own brokenness and the brokenness of others, we have to be very careful that we not go down a wrong road, and that we come to Christ on his terms. And so this morning, I want to just add to that just a little bit. Each Sunday stands alone, but I think every Sunday kind of adds just a little bit more to how we deal with brokenness. And this morning, I want to share a message simply entitled, Sharing the Burden of Brokenness. Sharing the Burden of Brokenness. I'm going to give you two takeaways, and I hope you'll jot them down. And the first one is this, that the path of brokenness is never intended to be walked alone. The path of brokenness is never intended to be walked alone. I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture today, and they're not going to be half an hour apiece, right? You're hungry. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> but I want to look at three passages of Scripture today, more than what I normally do. And, and, and as we look at these three passages, I want to unpack just a little bit more each time. And adding to this picture that we are never intended to walk the road of brokenness all by ourselves. The first passage is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You may not be real familiar with Ecclesiastes or you may need a little kind of a brush up on Ecclesiastes. It, it, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book of scripture. It, it's almost, I would say probably the most cynical sounding book of the Bible that we can read. It's written by Solomon uh, around 935 years or so before Jesus would come. And Solomon was a man who had everything. He had all the wealth. He had all the wisdom. He had virtually everything. He was a king. He had this gigantic kingdom. He lived in the greatest period perhaps of Israel's history. And he is a man who virtually had it all, right? And yet he writes this book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and it's almost as though he's saying, you know what? I give up from the very beginning. And it's one of the most cynical sounding books of Scripture. Now it ends well, but at the beginning and throughout parts of it, it's as though he's just giving up. In fact, hold your spot there in chapter 4. Look on the overhead behind me at chapter 1. The first three verses of this book of Scripture, here's what Solomon writes. 
It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, this is a reference to himself, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? And from there he goes on and he deals with the futility of wealth and the futility of of materialism and the futility of work and the futility of pleasure. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a book where it sounds like he's just given up from the very beginning. Now, when you get to the end, he has a conclusion and he says, the conclusion is this, fear God and obey him, right? Fear God and follow him. In other words, this world is not all there is. God has a bigger picture. There's more in store than what you set your eyes on in this world. So in the end, we find that he comes back to God and he paints God as the remedy of all the difficulties of life. But it's in chapter four that we find this this amazing picture of how we are to operate whenever we go through seasons of what we would call brokenness. And it just sort of pops out like a diamond in the rough in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let's jump in and read a few of these verses here and see what Solomon, what God ultimately has to say. You're familiar with these verses probably more than you would have thought. Chapter 4 verse 9, Solomon begins and he says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. A couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a message on Right Now Media. Some of you are familiar with that. You have access to that. And I was listening to, listening to a message by a guy named Pete Briscoe on there. And he dealt with this passage of Scripture, one of the few times I've ever heard anyone preach or teach this, this uh, out of this book, really, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And he was dealing with this verse. And he made an interesting statement, and it sounded so simple to me, but I'm going to sort of just take it and share it with you. He said, the, the basic principle out of this first part here, remember, is exactly what it says. Two is better than one. The context here is that whenever you look at our increase, you get more accomplished when you have somebody there with you. If you have somebody there to add to the work, you're going to get more done and you're going to have greater increase as a result. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. But then Solomon shifts gears a little bit. Verse 10, look at what he says here. He says, for if either, if either of them falls, now he's not talking about increase, now he's talking about hardship. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. You know, if you're working out in the field and one of you falls or has a difficulty, bless him, man, because he's got another one to come alongside to help him. Two are better than one. This is so significant. Solomon uses strong language. He says, but woe. I mean, this is not good, right? Woe to the person who when he falls, there is not another one to lift him up. Two is better than one. You were never designed to walk the road of brokenness all by yourself. You were never designed to walk brokenness alone. He goes on, verse 11. This is the passage perhaps you're more familiar with. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Two is better than one. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Why? Because two is better than one. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Now, I've been doing weddings for a long time, right? And most often, I think this is safe to say, the only time you've really heard that verse is in the context of a wedding ceremony. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. This has nothing to do with weddings. 
Solomon wasn't thinking wedding, and he probably had a lot of them. He had like 900 wives or however many he had, right? God wasn't happy with all that, but that's just sort of the way life was for him. So he probably, you know, I guess if anybody could, if there's ever a verse that gets added to a wedding, I guess maybe it's out of a book that Solomon wrote. But anyway, so we hear this wedding. This isn't talking about weddings. And the context here in this passage isn't even marriage. Now it applies I mean, I'll still share it in weddings that I do. I mean, it applies to, to weddings. It applies to marriage. A quarter of three strands is not quickly torn apart. But the context here is a person who is overwhelmed by an experience in life, and they can't handle it alone, and they need somebody to help them. And two is better than one. But listen, three is better than two. Two is better than one. Three is better than two. You were never designed to walk the road of brokenness all by yourself. Listen, if you're not even a a believer, if you're not even a follower of Jesus, if you're just here and you're thinking, you know what, I'm just trying to check out this whole Christian thing and church stuff and who Jesus is, and, you know, I'm not not there yet. I'm not ready to surrender my life. I I, I just, that's just not quite where I am. This still applies. Two is better than one. I mean, it's a life principle. And if you're going through a season of brokenness, it is far better for you to have someone to walk through that valley with you. It's just a principle of life. But at the end of the day, what Solomon is getting to, he's pointing, I believe, ahead 935 years in his day, pointing ahead to the person of Jesus, that if you really want to see how to move through a season of brokenness, of difficulty, when you fall and you can't get up, or when you face an obstacle that you can't tackle yourself, two is better than one, but man, oh man, when Jesus is in the center, you, it, that obstacle suddenly becomes something conquerable. And that valley and that midnight moment suddenly has a flicker of light because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You are set up for failure if you think you can move through your season or your experience of brokenness all by yourself. You are set up for failure if you think you can make it through what has broken you today Without the assistance of someone else, you are setting yourself up for a failure. Paul would come along roughly a thousand years later. No doubt, he was accustomed and familiar to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I think he kind of adds a little bit to it when he comes along, when Paul comes around a thousand years later. Paul knew brokenness. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul knew brokenness. I mean, he understood what brokenness was all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where you're holding your spot. I just want to read a portion out of chapter 4 in that book. Don't don't turn there. You go to 2 Corinthians 1. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about some of the experiences of his life. He's a seasoned veteran of brokenness. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Look at how Paul describes his life. And tell me if this is not a person who knows brokenness. He says, I've been afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. 
Yeah. Paul was saying, man, I have been through the ringer. And if you want to talk about what it's like to come to the end of yourself, let me just raise my hand, Paul says, and let you know I've been there. And I've been there many times. At the end of myself, when I had nowhere else to turn, I have been confused. I have been, uh, uh, I have been hung out to dry. I have been betrayed. I have been persecuted. I have been struck down. I have been beat down. I've been imprisoned. Right? I know what it's like to go through brokenness, Paul would say. Well, knowing that, let's go now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where I had you turn. Look at what Paul says at the beginning of this letter. Man, this is so powerful. Remember what we're saying, that you were never designed to walk the road of brokenness alone. Paul starts this letter now, chapter 1, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Let me pause there. Let me just ask this question. How many of you as Christians, as believers, followers of Christ, how many of you would say you've been through a difficult time in your life and God brought you through and you knew it was God who just provided for you, who comforted you, who brought you through that time? How many of you would say that, all right? Hands up all over, obviously. I mean, we're in church, right? I mean, you kind of a pretty good cross-section of people that have experienced that. You knew God did that. Why did he do that? Not because we're special in and of ourselves. He did it because of his nature, right? Paul says that, that he is the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Hey, if you're in the valley today and you're broken and you're thinking God is a million miles away and he's got his arms crossed and he's saying, hey, when you get stronger in your faith, I'll be there. Whenever you get yourself cleaned up, I'll be there. Whenever you wake up and, and, and you start getting some stuff straight in your life, I'll be there. That is not the image of God. God, by his nature, is a God of mercy and a God of comfort. And what he wants is is to walk that road with you. But you got to come to him on his terms and you've got to surrender and you got to trust in him. Paul says, first off, praise God. Man, if you've ever come through a time in your life where God brought you through brokenness, praise him. That's who he is. But he doesn't quit there. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let me read that again. He does all the comforting for us so that we will be able to comfort those who also are in any affliction with that same comfort that we experienced from him when we were at our place of brokenness. Principle number two, the last one I want to look at this morning starts to bring all this together, and that second principle is this, that your experience of brokenness ends ultimately when it's used to bring comfort in Christ to someone else. Here's what often happens, <laughs> and I think the intent is good, but I think it's a little misguided. Let's say you go through a season of difficulty in your life, and, and God meets you where you are. Your heart is broken. It's relational, it's financial, or it's career-related, or somebody hurt you, or maybe you, you blew it, you, you, you failed, you sinned, or whatever, and, and you come to a place of regret. Just, you're just broken. God meets you there, right? Many of you already raised your hand. You, you know what that's like. And God met you there, and, and, he, and he healed your heart, and he gave you perspective, and he, he showed his grace and his mercy, and he brought you through kind of the other side of that valley. And now you're up on a mountaintop. Here's what we usually, usually do. Oh, God, thank you that that brokenness is over. Thank you that it's behind me and done.
when we look at our brokenness from that perspective, what we're missing is the simple fact that our brokenness doesn't end when the pain goes away. But there is a so that mentality that God wants us to have. That when he brings us through the other side and our hearts have been healed and our perspective has been changed and we can say, God, thank you for that season of difficulty. You've made me better. The next mentality or the next perspective is now God help me to see those who need this same comfort so that I might be your instrument of hope and healing in their life as well. See, when you said and you raised your hand that God met you in your hurt and your pain and he brought you comfort, I'd be willing to say for most of you, the way he showed that was through someone else who cared enough to get in the valley with you. And Paul is saying, I have received immense comfort. But though God has healed me of my brokenness, it's not over yet until I use it to be a light into someone else's hurting life as well. See, brokenness minus Jesus equals brokenness. Brokenness plus Jesus equals hope. Jesus isn't going to materialize at the dinner table or at the bedside, or in the cubicle of the one whose heart breaks because they're going through the fire. The way he's going to show his love and his grace is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of his word. And when another believer who's been there loves enough to take that comfort and jump in the valley with that hurting heart. It's the way God works and it's sharing the burden of brokenness the way God and the way God desires you were never intended to walk the road of brokenness alone the last passage I want us to look at quickly is in Galatians chapter 6 Paul here writes yet again in a different book of the Bible to a different group of believers Christians scattered around the region of Galatia. And in chapter 6, he says what sounds to be contradictory, but in reality just affirms everything we've looked at in Scripture already. Galatians chapter 6, let's jump in, verse 1. He says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass or any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. All right, so the context here is someone who has sinned and now another uh, fellow believer has come into their life to speak truth and to be there for them gently. But I think what he says after beginning in verse 2 applies to anyone experiencing a season of difficulty and brokenness. He says in verse 2, bear one another's Burdens. It's a very clear command. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. Verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. 
It sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Let's go back to verse 2 again earlier. He says, bear one another's burdens. And then let's go to the last verse that I read again. Verse 5, he says, each person is to bear his own load. So which is it? Are we to bear one another's burdens? Or am I supposed to just bear my own load? Come on, God. I mean, which one is it? You're telling me two different things. No, understand here that when this was written in our English language actually reflects this, that there are two different words that are used in the Greek language. One that we translate for as, as burdens, and the other that we translate as load. What's being said earlier in verse 2 when he says that we are to bear one another's burdens, it is a Greek word that refers to that amount of weight that cannot be lifted alone. It's that insurmountable obstacle in our lives. And what God says is that we need to recognize those weights and burdens in others' lives and be willing, not just to be willing, but to step into it and to lift that weight with them, shouldering their burden, thereby giving them the comfort that we've also received before in our own lives from God. When you get to the last verse, verse 5, and it says each one is to carry his own load, it's a different Greek word altogether and a different English word altogether that refers to, and it's actually been used this way, to refer to a soldier's pack, like a day pack. In other words, we all have loads to carry that, that, that is just a part of being a responsible person in the world we live in, right? You've got tasks and responsibilities that you're responsible for. They're not overbearing. You're not supposed to just shirk those responsibilities and let somebody else do it for you. I mean, you've got responsibilities as a person in this world. God is saying, carry that. You have a responsibility to live responsibly. Carry that load. But when we come to those experiences in life where we would say, this has broken me. Man, I have been betrayed. I have been walked out on. I have been left high and dry. This job let me go. I, I have nothing. I'm at the end of myself. The picture there of how does God handle this is that he handles it when another believer steps in and takes that share of the burden and helps carry the weight. Why? Because no one has ever been intended to walk through and to bear the burden of brokenness all by themselves. So I summarize. No button exists to remove your brokenness. The path of brokenness is never intended to be walked alone. Two are better than one. Three, with Christ, better than two. Your experience of brokenness only ends when it's used to bring comfort in Christ to another. And brokenness plus Jesus always, always, always equals hope. So where are you broken today? And if you're walking through that burden alone, why? And if you've come through a season of brokenness and experienced the comfort of God in your own life, and you're not doing anything to help lift the burden of another who's right where you were, why? Because the very clear picture of Scripture is that there is a God who's waiting and, wa waiting and ready to meet us even in the pit to bring us to a place of surrender. But oftentimes we get there a little quicker if someone's only willing to help pick up the burden and walk with us.
Are you willing to be that person? Or are you willing to sit where you sit today and to pray, Lord, praise you for delivering me from my brokenness. But in surrender now, use me as a comfort to someone around me. Ladies, are you willing to be that for another woman? Guys, are you willing to be that for another guy? It gets messy. And you might get cut. You might get hurt. But it's the way of God. Believers there for one another. Moving together as one. In maturity in Christ. Hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus, the first step for you is to come to that place of surrender. To say, Lord Jesus, here at the end of myself, I surrender. And I invite you to forgive me of all my sin. and Take over. And he'll hear that prayer and he'll do it. He'll save you and he'll keep you. He'll forgive you and he'll wipe the slate clean. And he'll use you if you only let him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the picture, Lord, as it unfolds. We're understanding what brokenness is, that it's the end of ourselves. It's not always a bad thing. It's often a hard thing because it takes difficulty to get us to lay down our own pride and our own will and our own sufficiency in ourselves. But Lord, when we come to you and surrender, we find that you often use those experiences of being broken to do an amazing work in us. But God, it's a hard journey, never intended to be walked by ourselves. And all over this room, I trust today, and all over this church and these two services, there are people that are trying to walk all by themselves. And they think they're more spiritual or that's just what you want, that they're supposed to tough it out and and prove the strength of their faith. And Lord, you never intended them to walk this hard valley alone. But Lord, you've even comforted others in in advance, preparing them to come alongside. And God, my, my prayer for us as a church is that we be marked by what I've said these last 30 minutes, that we be known as a church that loves its own, that is always willing to reach and push further and further to bring hope into the lives of others who don't know you. But God, that we don't kick our one another when we're down. We don't, we don't fire shots at the wounded, at those amongst us who hurt. But God, that we shoulder the burdens and we carry one another if need be. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not our crutch to help us to make it through life in our own strength. Lord, you are our stretcher. (laughs) We are nothing without you. Heal the heart that hurts today, God. Remind them they're not alone. Lord, bring and raise up someone to walk this valley with them. We praise you for what you'll do, our God of mercy and comfort. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.